Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of The Problem with Reading. I'm Brevin. Uh, I'm Steven. And I'm Sam. Sam's back! Yay! Hey. Uh, good. Wait, did, did you guys do any episodes while I was gone? Yeah, we did the Star Wars episode. Cool. You, oh, okay, yes. You would know if cool. you listened to the podcast. That's just really Yeah, helpful. I would, wouldn't I? Appropriately enough, the, uh, the, tr- the, the teaser for uh, the Star Wars episode was uh, number 66. Yeah, oh. we, which we could not have planned better had we tried. But anyway, very, very... I was uh, pretty happy with it. Yeah, no, it, it definitely worked out. Uh, but Sam, uh, do you want to say like just two seconds? Like, what have you been doing? You know, I mean, podcasting is serious business. We all, this is our livelihoods here, basically. So, you know, what have you yeah. been doing that's been so Im- important? There's been, I've, I, let's see here, I've been moving positions at work. Um, mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. been, I moved mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little bit? Across country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. across country. Um, I got married. Oh, that's oh, what it was. Right, right. I forgot that was last weekend or a couple weekends ago. That's so true. Three oh. weekends ago. Three weekends ago. Time flies. Oh. Three weeks. Going on week three, baby. Yeah. Well, anyway. We don't have to push that any further. It's still great. Brevin, Brevin isn't isn't marriage great? Marriage is great. Can mm-hmm. great. Can confirm. Yeah. Sounds pretty great. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, Stephen, you oh, should yeah. try it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been considering giving it a whirl, but you know, I don't know. It's, it's got it's got pretty good reviews. You just really like late night video gaming and hanging out alone. You know, watching rom coms as you cry into your pillow. Like you know, you just are loath to give all that up, right? Yeah, no. I mean, obviously, all of those are really near and dear to my heart, and like getting a, getting a wife would get in the way of that. And we all know I have my priorities. That's true. We all do. And speaking of priorities, Sam, what are you drinking right now? Well, I was drinking. Um, I was going to say I was drinking some Brooklyn tap water, Sounds which risky. is a delicacy. Yeah, very risky. In I guess to to prove the the amazing benefits of marriage, my wife came in right before this podcast and was like, "What are you drinking today for the pod?" And I told her tap water, and she said, "Absolutely not. You're not going on there and saying you're drinking tap water." So she made me a nice cup of uh, of green tea with honey mm. in this mug that she apparently owns. I'm not sure if you can see it, but that, oh no, that's an excellent mug. And well done, Sam's <laughs> wife. Indeed, classing up. Uh, this this individual. Steven, what are we drinking? Well, as previously mentioned, I have no such wife to uh, to keep me from drinking tap water, and so I'm actually drinking Lansing tap water, which is otherwise mm. known as swamp water. Um, but... How far, or, how, no, Lansing's a swamp. how far away from Flint are you? Yeah, that's uh, what I was going to ask. <laughs> touche. Thankfully, I think like an hour and a half drive or so, so thankfully far from that. So there's no lead, just a bunch of... I care not to ask what... Um, but it is sparkling. I did get a sparkling water maker for Christmas, and uh, I'm 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 here for it. It's really good. Um, well, the water itself is meh, but sparkling water, quite good. Sparkling water is amazing. I m- my roommate in college had a Soda Stream, and uh, my wife and I, though not even girlfriend at the time back then, we decided to try and carbonate some apple juice and it specifically says only do this with water and we found out why because it just absolutely exploded it was very exciting <laughs> but, did it ruin the soda stream no it was fine we just rinsed it off uh but, okay. but as for myself i am drinking some trader joe's beer some boat swain double ipa uh twin screw steamer i don't know i saw it when i was shopping and i thought hey let's try it and it's pretty good uh it has a very nice like red gold color which i definitely appreciate mm. but honestly 
I don't know if it's my cold pre- preventing me from tasting it or long COVID or what it is, but uh, I feel like they could have gone heavier on the hops. Wait, but. it's a double IPA, and you think they could have gone heavier? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah fair enough. I'm not a, I'm not an IPA guy myself, though, so like any amount of hops is too much hops for me. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it really just is about getting the right mix, uh, but some mixes just absolutely should not go together and one of those is facebook and religion and that's our topic for this short special episode nice. of thank you thank you that was uh, actually that actually made sense <laughs> yeah. uh, so with that transition that makes perfect sense we're going to jump into our topic here for this short episode hopefully uh, we're all on a bit of a schedule but there was an article that came across my attention and i passed it on and we've rolled it around in the collective hive mind here for a couple weeks and we read a few more articles and have some thoughts on it and that is the online world and the religious world and as we all know, with COVID-19, many, many churches went online of all denominations and other faiths too. I mean, we're all Christians here of various persuasions, so that's primarily what we'll be talking about. But this article from the New York Times is talking about Facebook's outreach to a bunch of different uh, churches and religious organizations of, of various kinds and attempting to pull them in to its network, to find a way to help them partner, to reach people with connections. And there's a quote from the article from the uh, Miss Sandberg of Facebook saying that, uh, quote, faith organizations and social media are a natural fit because fundamentally both are about connection, end quote. And Facebook obviously sees this as a way to draw what they call or what the article calls highly engaged users onto its platform. And church leaders have had a variety of responses. Some see as totally positive. Some are skeptical and some see it as one tool among many. But I just wanted or but we just wanted to take a quick look at this. So boys, we all we all read this article. We all read some of the other ones. Uh, What did we what did we take? What's our first impressions here from this brave new world? It's eerie. I don't like it. It was uh, I don't know. I mean, like the, the part that got me the most is like how Facebook just sterilized all of it. And they're like, we are, you know, we will help all houses of worship to to pray and connect with their congregations, because that's what Facebook's all about is connecting people. And it like, it's like you had explained what religion is to somebody who'd never been to, I mean, I don't even say a church, to a religious service whatsoever, who, and and then they're like, okay, so you, there's some speaking going on and there's a connection and you, 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 there's prayers that you offer up. So let's just put all of it on our site. And it's just like, I don't know. I, I understand Facebook as a tool to, to connect. I mean, like my, my church back in Seattle live streams, all their services via Facebook since COVID started. And there are lots of people who just are feel uncomfortable coming to church um and so they watch it online and you know we have five or six people and that's fine i think um new york is very restrictive and so the church that um ellen are going to is um they stream things online and i think that's that's fine but i don't know it's like it, it the, the the interview with the hillsong pastor who was talking about how like oh yeah we're we're definitely partnering 100% with Facebook. And like, we've been in discussions for years with them about this. And like, we're just finally getting everything off the ground. That was really weird because it's like it, it, I mean, do they think that Facebook's being genuine with all this? I I, I can't imagine it. Like, I I just don't even know. Or or are they just like, you know, Facebook doesn't care. Hillsong knows Facebook doesn't care, but it's using them as a tool to reach people. I don't know. It's, I have a lot of questions. And anyway. 
it is interesting the whole like use of a tool so like this strikes me as well so from facebook's perspective i would say that this is a pure left brain sort of thing it sees religion as pure utility and it will use its own platform to access whatever or to try to replicate whatever utility it sees in religion but of course it being only left brain centric it will be able to at best come up with a simulacra of it i so i'm very negative towards all this i but I'm going to I'm going to say one thing in its I won't even say uh, ostensible defense. So I I recall when Panda when um uh, the pandemic was first starting uh what like a year and a half ago or so, and all of us or at least I thought it wouldn't really amount to anything. And I, I so I was at a house house party and the priest at, um uh from St Catherine's was there, and we were all talking about kind of like people you know churches shutting down and starting to stream, and he was very like. Nope, Orthodox Church will stay open no matter what. This is like, like kind of shame on the other churches for shutting down. And then within like three or four weeks, St. Catherine's had shut down as well because it, I mean, it needed to. There was a pandemic, and so like YouTube is better than nothing. Like celebrating the pa celebrating Pascha, celebrating Lent was miserable over YouTube, but it was better than just not celebrating it at all. And so I'm actually grateful to YouTube and I guess tertiarily Facebook um, for providing those sort of platforms for churches to be able to at least have some amount of simulacra of attendance. But let's never forget, it's a simulacra and that's it. Part of the danger with Facebook, which one of the articles that we read mentioned this fact, is that with Facebook's attempt to find a way to more holistically incorporate the different aspects of a church and worship, perhaps most, in my opinion, disgustingly, this prayer option that they're now allow, allowing mm. you to add to Facebook groups, where you can click it and say, I prayed, is that it's attempting to, as you say, simulate the entire experience. And the difference between that and the extenuating circumstances that we found ourselves in under COVID is that that was deliberately and knowingly a temporary inferior mm -hmm. replacement. This drive by Facebook is an attempt to make that replacement more permanent by attempting, by attempting to grab aspects that were not captured in the mere live streaming. And I remember that when the Catholic churches went online for a period before they came back, and they came back pretty quickly, which is one of the things I think, to me, spoke most strongly about the Catholic Church's witness, that they were like, no, our thing is in person. You can't do this remotely. If you cannot get sick, if it's your life at stake, that's all right. Honestly, we, we can delegate a person to bring you the Eucharist in your home, but that is what it's about, and you can't stay away forever. And it was part of the the live streams was a specially written up prayer or designed mm -hmm. prayer, which is that uh, something along the lines of, while I can't experience your presence physically, I hope to experience your presence spiritually as much as I can. And I look forward to the day when I can, again, return. It was always contingent. It was never meant yeah. to be permanent. Sam, did you have something there? No, I, I, you're saying exactly what I was going to say. It's actually our church, when it went online, we prayed that exact same prayer, a spiritual communion. Um, the same one that I think you're talking about, the, bishop, the one that Bishop Barron mm -hmm. gave. Uh, and it's actually apparently like an, a pretty ancient prayer. It's, it, it wasn't written up for COVID. It was, it's something that's existed for centuries as a prayer. I think it's a, it's a Catholic thing. But for Christians who can't take the Eucharist to be able to pray, at least that Christ would come in, come in spiritually. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like, I guess like that is totally different. That's a totally different posture than the, um, 
okay, now go grab your grape juice and crackers from your pantry, you know? Yeah. And to loop back to what you were saying about Hillsong, I'll just read the paragraph because it's it's very short and disturbing. Quote starting here. For churches like Hillsong Atlanta, the ultimate goal is evangelism. We have never been more postured for the Great Commission than now, Mr. Collier said, the Hillsong uh, pastor, referring to Jesus's call to make disciples of all nations. He is partnering with Facebook, he said, to directly impact and help churches navigate and reach the consumer better. Consumer isn't the right word, he said, correcting himself. Reach the parishioner better. And you can't imagine a more Orwellian, horrible slip of tongue than that. It's it it oh it, it's so amazing. Like I can't even believe that that's real. It's it's too perfect for it to actually be real. But yet, <laughs> there is something just deeply disturbing about that. One one of uh, one of my friends and one of uh, one of our listeners, I believe, um, sent me a screenshot uh, with uh, it's like a little advertisement. Quote: What does the Great Commission have to do with mobile devices? More than you might think. Learn more. Which kind of similar course, like it, it, it's just a perversion. Like. You can see the the line of reasoning they're using, but it's just such a perverse line. And it, it just, uh, it's just creepy. It's just very creepy. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, it's I utility. Mean, it's go use use these tools to maximize your impact on the world, which has this ringing of truth. But much like Frodo says, it would sound like wisdom, but for the warning in my heart. No, and so what is Facebook? public forum they've they've infiltrated all of these different realms of human experience in life they're a public Facebook forum is not a public forum no no they're they're a they're an advertising uh, machine sorry all it is. what i what i'm Quite saying true. is here here are the market shares that they have captured under wow. the pretense of being a better version yeah. of, of these things public forum news uh, informal phone calls and letters with your friends, club meetings, uh, garage sales with their marketplace. And it's all very extremely well adapted to the way that we live. It's, it's all very convenient. And I mean, you can kind of imagine that they're just mad that people are doing quote unquote connection, which is their business outside of any realm that's within their purview, that the church and these religious activities is this market share that they don't have a, a monopoly or a strong uh, holding in. And that's why they want to, to take it over. And when you look at things like the pilot project that they did with this African-American Pentecostal church, uh, experimenting with these d different modes of delivering their, ser their service in a loaded sense of, of the term, one of the ways that they were looking at is the $9.99 per month to receive exclusive content like messages from the bishop. They're turning it into a streaming service, into a subscription, which is just a... A total, like, when you think about... Says, that's borderline simony, for the record. Yes, Tithe becoming Netflix, or a subscription service, is just such a corruption of, of everything, and it's such a, as you said, just a core misunderstanding that only a, a you know, a soulless corporation could make of an essential human activity. Yeah, I, like, I like, a, like, like, a, like uh, buying, I don't know, something to get rid of your sins. Hey! <laughs> Listen, the indulgence button isn't coming for another two years. It's still in beta. We're <laughs> working on it. Okay. <laughs> was, indulgence subscriptions. <laughs> all of a sudden, the Catholic Church has gone completely <laughs> on board. Latin mass you know, went out. Indulgences went they in. They have all those, all those subscription boxes. Just get a subscription box of indulgences. <laughs> Dude, you know it. Listen, at least when the Catholic Church did that they were building cathedrals and not uh zuckerberg's mansions okay or vr 
projects. Whatever. No, they were building the Pope's mansions, not Zuckerberg's. Oh, did I say ah, garbage, garbage, garbage? This is all lies <laughs> and, and calumny. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I do like one of the quotes uh, in uh, that from uh, from Sandberg. Quote: Faith organizations and social media are natural natural fit because fundamentally both are about connection, which just strikes me as kind of what you said earlier, Brevin. The the like. That is somebody who has never been to a church in their life, or at the very least has a very dim memory of what it is, or a fundamental misunderstanding, like trying to trying to grasp at whatever utility it is, or what like they, they clearly think the whole thing is hollow. And like so they're trying to figure out like why why would people possibly want to go here unless I guess it's just to maintain connections. And so we can do that. Well, We're Facebook. Well, it's like somebody, I mean, she's like Sanford's clearly well read. I mean, you don't become you know, that high up in a major company. She's clear about read. She's read lots of social science. She might have even read, you know, Putnam or something, talking about the significance of religion and understands that religion is a fundamental part of our society in connecting people from like a social science perspective. And like, I mean, I'm speaking as somebody who's done loads of research on this topic. And like, that's that's like where I where I used to to um, play. But that's just the beginning of it. That's just the that's just the front door. Um, oh, and, certainly, yeah. yeah. You, you can't deny that there is. A, oh, like no, it's very valuable social connection in that. Like that is where people build their community. That is where like used to be. That was all of the community. Like the village, the center of it was the church or the monastery. Um, but that that actually does provide an interesting transition to the um, like trying the the attempt to hollow out or core out uh, religion and create a godless religion and how they just kind of fail time and time again. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, like there were uh, there were a few kind of tertiary articles that that Brevin sent out that that discussed that where kind of it's it's the Church of the Nuns in essence or N O N E S, not the other kind of religious nun. Yeah. No, oh, there's a great no, play. Yeah. Ooh, I feel like we could do something with that play on words right there, incidentally. Lots of people have done stuff. With, yeah. Oh, darn it. I thought it was being clever. Mm. But anyway. no, I mean, yeah, pivot to those articles. Because like those were interesting is that like that that is the same idea. Is that I don't know, I guess maybe it's that we've kind of all heard about like churches of just for the sake of connection and like unitarian universalism or you know, all that kind of stuff. And it just doesn't it doesn't work. And so I don't know, I guess I don't know what Facebook's thinking when it's like, you should be able to see that these things do not work. Like you, I don't know. Well, it, I, don't the know. Thing they, I think the edge they have over the uh, no God churches or the atheist churches or agnostic church or like kind of glorified community centers in essence, like they are piggybacking on top of churches. They're just, I mean, they're parasites on churches. Maybe a charitable person might say symbiote. I would not. To an extent, it was like, okay, every church has a Facebook page or whatever, and they're useful. Like, it's nice to be able to organize your events and whatnot, but that's also what websites are for. So aside from that, I, I would say that Facebook actually does have a chance of succeeding in this because they're piggybacking off of something that has been around for all of human history and has been shown to fundamentally work, whereas the Church of the Nuns are trying to core out the essence of what has worked for 10,000 years. Facebook is not is trying to do no such thing. Well, let's give our listeners a little bit of an idea what we're talking about. So this is a, another article, I forget what source uh, that it's The Atlantic. From. The Atlantic, thank you, it always is. Talking about secular churches that were all the rage in the early 2010s and saw some rapid growth and apparent initial early success. And the idea was to create a place for people who had left the church were disaffected from God, didn't want that aspect in their life, but missed the community that it provided. So the idea was, it's a place where you gather with fellow like-minded people, you sang songs that were enjoyable to sing in a group, rock anthems, uh, 
but none of the God stuff. It, it, it was a place fundamentally for community. You'd have music, you'd have some kind of an inspirational talk of some kind, and then you'd meet people, hang out with people, much like you do in a coffee time after, you know, any church service, um, except for Catholic services. We all just kind of run away most of the time. Listen, we're there for a reason. We get in and out. But the point is these churches, secular churches, uh, attempted to do their program and initially saw great success, but they swiftly petered out and the massive growth that they saw swiftly turned into massive dissolution of all these different groups that had suddenly formed. And there's all sorts of different reasons for this that the article cites, uh, one simply being that there were internal disagreements between all these groups. People had different ideas of what people were doing there. It's difficult to organize and pay for all these things when you don't have any kind of institutional support structure. Also, people don't have any existential or transcendental commitment to anything involved in, in the project. So it's really just sort of a fun experiment. And there's all sorts of competing things that can take their time, uh, like boot camps and going and riding a bike at a gym or whatever. So they had a difficult time sustaining themselves and more or less died out. So what we've already noted is that this that these things were very much imitating the form of the church, the almost what to a social scientist would be the primary effect of a church in its social aspect, that it creates these communities, that it, that it allows for these interactions. And that's the effect that it has on society. But as these people found, they had pure form, but none of the essence. They were merely imitating it and it couldn't last. And the article goes on to talk about a psychologist talking about communes in the United States that were created, uh, religious and otherwise, and the reason for their success or failure. And the one variable between the success and failure of communes, uh, which he studied 200, 39% of religious communes were still functioning 20 years after their start, but only 6% of secular communes were still alive after that same amount of time. So oh. so communes, I mean, for obvious reasons, they probably don't have huge lifespans, but the, but the religious ones worked much better. And the reason that he found for this was that the, that, the dif- that the difference was the number of sacrifices that a commune asked its members to give up, such as giving up alcohol, following a dress code, fasting. The more that a commune demanded of its people, the more robust the community was and the longer that yeah. it lasted. And there's also something to say about that, that uh, to demand those sacrifices, you also had to have the group's commitment to some kind of transcendental transcendental ideal that would justify those sacrifices as well. It was, it, it was yeah. hand in hand. But the point is, is that these secular churches for the nuns can make no demands of people. People are there to escape the demands of the church because they're uncomfortable with whatever they are. And so the community falls apart pretty swiftly after that. Uh, so I suppose to push back on Stephen's point, why Facebook might succeed, what I'm afraid of is that it cannibalizes communities that exist, but then it but then dies off and just hastens their death, basically, because Facebook doesn't demand a commitment or it can't demand a, a commitment any more than a subscription fee, which once oh. the pastor says something that you don't like, it instantly goes away. Oh, I totally buy that that would happen. I mean, it's... It's a parasite, so inevitably it kills its host. Um, but I think it will succeed better than, like, if a, a healthy functioning church that gets Facebookified, I mean, sure, they won't have long for this world, but I mean, the, the, the Church of the Nuns, they lasted what, an average of two or three years? Um, so I, I think that the parasitic process would take longer, or take longer, and primarily because they're not trying to do this on their own, but rather attaching themselves to something that has worked. And to be fair, I could yeah, actually like, see, it, I could see it becoming a symbiotic pr- approach where, well, the host is weaker, but still is able to survive. It just isn't 
as good as it once was. Two points is, Brevin, when you're talking about the, the Church of Nuns and like all the um, the form of religion, I mean, we kind of already know this, but it's almost like religion in form, and but without context, left, right brain, is that religion, I mean, like you look at it, it is all those things. It only makes sense because it's in this wider context of tradition. However wide that tradition is, I mean, even a non-denominational evangelical church has more tradition extending past just that day, um, and even whether or not they're willing to admit it. Um, but the second thing, I guess, this is kind of unrelated, so you can maybe move this to another part or cut it. But a uh, counterpoint is the to be patron saint of social media. Bishop Robert Barron. I mean, he has used social media to an extraordinary level to reach both Catholics, um, uh, uh, Protestants, and non-believers, and bringing them into the folds of faith. I mean, I think what do you think? My counterpoint to that would be that, that's actually a really fair point. However, he's not trying to do that to replace church or to tack it mm. on top of church. It is a, I would say, it's a completely atomic thing. He's doing that in addition. But you don't do it to enhance your church-going experience, uh, enhance your your religious walk, enhance your faith, certainly. But you don't do it to enhance your church experience. Mm. Whereas I think that's what Good. Facebook is arguably doing. Although, let's let's try to be charitable for a moment here. Um, perhaps they are just trying to do something like, yeah, yeah that's kind of how I feel. But, <laughs> but so let's let's try to. Um, perhaps they're trying to do like a more glorified church homepage. Where it's like, nope, you have your scheduled events, you have your live stream posted for those of you that are so afraid of COVID slash something, something post-COVID, but churches are doing that anyway. My my old church, SAFMC, was live streaming since I was in high school. So that that's nothing new. Um, so if, to an extent, while I find the whole, like, check yes for if I prayed on this thing, I find that creepy, but... It's a more religious take on a like or a smiley face or whatever. So, like, I could see it arguably being more benign than we're assuming it is, as long as it stays in its lane. Like, it's, I mean, you're you're right. I guess, again, trying to be charitable, even though when you said to be charitable, I just violently shook my head. Um, but, I mean, is it really that much worse than, like, we all know those those moms on Facebook who are like, please pray, you know, for this, this, and you see all the other you know, people with their with their praying emojis, like that just pop up underneath, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we're already doing this. It's just systematized, just like, I mean, but just like anything that we do on social media. So it's not, I don't, I don't think it's that much, probably not that much worse, but even then that whole thing has always bothered me, so. I mean, yes, I, well, I, it's bothered me in the same way that Facebook on the whole has bothered me in that it used to be you would, well, I mean, to be fair, it still, it still happens, I'm sure. But like, you could not get that sort of support virtually, you had to go to your church and, and request prayer, or you had to go to your small group, or your Bible study, or your Sunday school class, or blah, 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 blah. But that, like, even if you want to just look at it purely from just the social science perspective, then you're in person receiving affirmation from people in front of you, not from your abstract uh, screen, which mm -hmm. I would say is, it, I mean, something, something left brain, right brain, but also just I, I think we all just intuitively know the difference of seeing someone face-to-face -face versus seeing someone on a screen yeah. or somebody liking your status or what have you. Yeah. I think Steven defended, you know, the big BRB as much as he deserves to be defended well enough just at the point of his online presence is to get people mm -hmm. off of the online presence and into the pews, which is good in as far as, far as it goes, although I, I don't particularly like his quote in the article, which is, you know, talking about how 
Facebook help gave people a more intimate experience of the mass that they wouldn't normally have. But I Wait, suppose did, did it quote Baron? It did, yeah. Oh, although, I missed that. Although oh. I think it was more in context of COVID, which is all right. Like yes. that's I'll accept that. The, the the other thing I suppose that I would say though to counteract your your good faith argument is just that Facebook is looking for highly engaged users, users that rebound and are on the site, always responding to other people, always looking at the screen to post prayers, respond that they've done prayers, to uh, encourage other people, because that's always them getting eyes on ads. That's what it is. And the more that they pull people out of whatever real world context that, that they're in, in any level to replace that with online engagement, because it is a replacement. You have limited time. You're not doing both. When one goes down, the other goes up. That is the the core issue that Facebook can't avoid being, you know, this, uh, you know, godless demonic vampire uh, hovering over, you know, the body of Christ trying to suck it dry. The final thing that I would say, though, is there is some measure of hope because when talking about that Pentecostal church that we mentioned earlier, while they did test out the subscription model, they did not allow the third one of the proposed features from the Facebook site was advertisements during their church services, which I'm like, props to you in as far as that goes, like well played for at least keeping that sacred. So there is some hope. Speaking of advertisements, there is some, so there's a, there's a known phenomenon. um, I I forget where it was posted or where it was published or what have you, but uh, so data science is a very weird field in that like nobody exactly like no human can go through and parse through exactly what's all going on. If you pretty much have a pile of linear algebra, you shove a bunch of data through it and then out comes whatever the results are. And so no one has complete control over like people can tweak it. People can fine tune it or people can throw it out, but like nobody knows exactly what's going to come out because it's just, there's too much. And so there have been studies that show that like the advertisement engine was able to what if I'm praying that I'm struggling with alcoholism or what have you, and all of a sudden it starts advertising either benignly AA or not so benignly starts you know doing ads for Jack Daniels or what have you. Uh, well, anyway, I can tell that we've, at whatever point I decide to edit this in, uh, we're pretty worked up. We're, we're pretty hopping mad about Facebook trying to co-opt our religion. And when one is hopping mad, uh, one tends to rant. Steven. I believe you have at least one rant for us. Yes, the best rant. Can we can we, can we save him for last? Because okay, no, suck. no, yeah, that's and... fair. All right, all right, all right. No, no, I'll, but... I'll, I'll bide my time. That's a great point, Sam. Your rant. Yes, my rant. Okay, so um, I moved to New York City last week, um, and New York's a, a special place. Uh, as part of this, so my my wife had a bunch of furniture that was kind of scattered around the city and things that she was picking up from friends, including like a bed and dresser and all this stuff all over the city. And so we were like, oh, we'll just rent a U-Haul and pick it all up Go on a giant loop. Dear God. <laughs> this, this is a special uh, downtown <laughs> New York, just to clarify, is this downtown New oh, York City? Well, oh, oh well. Oh, downtown Sam. which borough oh, because we were downtown brooklyn we were in the financial district so Sam, i mean your like, wife has lived there for so, several years how did she agree to this what is wrong with so both of well you? so she's like she's like are you sure and i'm like well how else are we gonna get it like, there's no way else we're gonna get like this bed and dresser and her like 10 boxes of stuff that she had in her apartment and we were gonna go we went to ikea too because we didn't want to pay for shipping from ikea 
So we're like, let's just do it all in one day, which is of course the jet lagged first day. Oh, and also we didn't get breakfast that morning because we woke up and we're like, let's go out for a nice breakfast. Sorry, I'm, I'm turning into two rants. This is actually the good part of the rants is we're going to go out for a nice breakfast. Well, our neighborhood is like super Jewish. And so literally not a single place was open Saturday morning. The street was dead. We were the only people there. Like, <laughs> so we couldn't find breakfast. We found a banana at 7-Eleven. Go pick up the U-Haul. And then, um, yeah, let's see here. How did, yeah, so we picked it up. We drove, like, Brooklyn was okay. But the signage is so confusing. So we ended up going over the Brooklyn Bridge, which was apparently super illegal in a U-Haul. Didn't get pulled over. But then Manhattan was just wild. And, like, signs meant nothing. The lines in the middle of the road meant nothing. Somebody got stopped in the middle of the intersection. We just all, like, everybody behind me is like, you have to go around them with their horns. It was, but, okay, you know, here's, here's, here's the, the part. I loved it. Like after doing it for a little while, I I saw a side of myself I didn't know existed. Like I've always tried to be a pretty courteous driver, like always check twice, you know, watch where you're going, those kinds of things. Um, Your inner psychopath was unleashed. No, no, it's 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 literally you 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 go from technical driver following the rules to it's just an urge, and you just go when you when when you feel it, and it was it was surreal. And by the end of it, I'm like, I, I got this. So New York driving brings out an interesting side, a, a, a terrifying yet beautiful side of humanity as we're all working together in this herd. Like, you know, when you see like those birds and they're like a, like a flock of birds and they're all like moving together, like in unison, that was the traffic on Canal Street. And I was a part of it. That was actually an amazing rant. That, that, that was, was great. quite good. That was very good. <laughs> Wow. Thank you. I will never drive in New York City again. <laughs> uh, well, to be clear, we don't own a car. That's not already obvious. We, we take the subway. Uh, that does explain a handful of things, at least. Okay. Yeah. Good. Grab good. It. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't have a good rant this week. I suppose for my rant, it would be something like the romantics in the 19th century were weird in a lot of ways. Lord Byron, Percy Shelley, Mary Shelley, um, obviously Mary Wollstonecraft and her famous argument with, um, who did I just forget? Classic conservative figure, help me, Sam. French Revolution. Burke. Burke, thank you. <laughs> Mary Wollstonecraft and her classic arguments with, with Burke. You know, all of these romantic figures um, are very important in, in their own ways. But one thing that a lot of them had and was very uh, a common cultural thing across the entire 19th century was they would visit the beautiful places of Europe. And I recently had the opportunity to go to two of these beautiful places of Europe, one being Port of Anir, uh, where Percy Shelley drowned. And also there's Lord Byron's um, cove there or something where he swam in some incredibly dangerous waters to swim in just to show off because he was just a, a cool dude. Uh, and then also Murin up in the Swiss Alps, uh, where British tourists would come to, you know, imitate the famous uh, painting of the traveler above the mist and stand on the rocks and look over at the mountains being, you know, 5,000 feet in, in elevation and stuff, only accessible via cable cars and such. And it truly is, both of those places in very, very different ways are truly beautiful and incredible places that bring out an appreciation for nature and for beauty, for awe, for the sublime that you can forget exists in normal life. That there are these places that truly just strike you as like, this is a unique place unlike any other. Uh, and, you know, 
that every once in a while we should imitate those romantics and make a uh, long and probably once in a lifetime pilgrimage to those beautiful places, whether that's in Europe or in the U.S., uh, because it it does good things for your soul, and 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 so does hiking. Uh, so go out and breathe fresh air. Get off of your uh, Facebook service. You know, disconnect the the subscription to your to your wafers delivered to your door. Um, pre pre blessed, obviously, and uh, get out no, that's there. That's an and, Amazon thing. That's an Amazon thing. And get out there and look at some beautiful things. That's my rant. All right, Stephen, save this podcast with yours. I'll see what I can do. Okay, so I recently had the distinct displeasure of seeing the movie The Green Knight. And I was very excited for this movie. I knew going in, it wasn't going to be an action movie. It was going to be a, a retelling of the classic Arthurian legend. And I was very much looking forward to that because it was a story I'm actually not overly familiar with. And I knew it was a, you know, it's a beautiful myth. Uh, the Arthurian canon is on the whole, it's one of the one of the best canons out there, and I was excited to see someone's take on it. And you know, let, 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 let's see how it goes. Um, and moreover, uh, my friend who just got his master's degree in English was also very excited for it, so I had some good reason. Like he's he's a trustworthy source, right? Right? Wrong. I I went in, and the first five minutes it was a little rough, but like then there was a, there was a scene or two that I I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I was like, okay, nope, we're we're on track. Things are going to get good. And then it just took a left turn into the weird. I mean, and I mean, I. I thought I was tripping acid half the time. It, it, you know, you know, you know that like precocious seventh grader who thinks they're really smart and like indeed is like they are, they are a bright seventh grader, but like that's all they are is a bright seventh grader. That was this director. It, it, this movie, like, it struck me as somebody who had like heard of the idea symbol, but didn't actually know any symbolic imagery, and so just started throwing a bunch of stuff at the screen. It was like, yeah, I'm gonna make a bunch of giant naked wooden or uh, naked stone ladies walking around and they're gonna all sing in unison and that's a symbol and and i'm gonna make a fox walk around not really do anything but it's gonna walk around and deep really deep and it was that for two and a half hours so it's uh it, it's the the fast of the uh assumption of mary and i've been taking it at least moderately lightly but i i was doing my my thing where i i don't drink alcohol and halfway through the the movie, I leaned over to my friend whom I knew I would be spending uh, spending the night at his place uh, because it was an hour away from my place, and asked him if uh, he had any whiskey at his house, and he replied very dryly, "I don't, but I will after this movie." Um, and we both proceeded to get very drunk because that was the sort of mood I was in after seeing this movie. It made me want to gouge my own eyes out with a rusty spoon. It made me want to weep and then die. Do not see this movie except perhaps get like a bootleg copy of it so you don't have to support this drivel um and then like play a drinking game while doing it like every time you see something weird or someone says something nonsensical but sounds vaguely deep take a drink a drink you'll be drunk by the end of you'll be drunk by halfway point and that will make it at least marginally enjoyable wow that was wow. for steven <laughs> lord I wanted my two and a half hours back. I didn't even want the money back at that point. I just wanted my life back. See, I saw the trailers for this, and it looked so interesting. And oh, honestly, I did too. I did too. And so the movie I'm looking at right now, it's got it's got 87 on Rotten Tomatoes. Check the audience score. Yeah, I don't. Critics are there. Garbage. We go. Critics are wrong. About and and every also, movie. Steven, it's only two hours and five minutes long. Felt longer. <laughs> To be fair, I'm guessing the two and a half hours probably derived from like the you know ten 
hours of trailers beforehand but that's fine that's 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 in an operating procedure um huh. fun fun fact for you the last time that audience and critics both agreed was uh lord of the rings i i forget if it was two towers or return of the king but that was the last time that like both were completely in sync that like yes this was a masterfully done movie see your review almost makes me want to find a friend or two get hammered and then go see this movie <laughs> i mean i to be fair i actually do you think it could be kind of fun when you're absolutely wasted and like so mm. just not taking it ser- because i mean it was unfortunate because like the first quarter or so of it i was trying to take it seriously and just like each scene i i like i was trying i was really trying i wanted to take it seriously and each about halfway through my my spirit was broken i couldn't uh the one the one nice thing i will say about it um its ending was was unexpected and i would say one of the better endings i've seen footnote and then they ruined it at like literally the last second um they they did this weird it's like ironic shift of mood thing that dave foster wallace would have a a cow over and it made me upset fascinating so even the one thing where i would have i would have unironically sang its praises on that one thing and even then they ruined it I'm honestly looking at tickets right now for the month. Don't support it. <laughs> Buy a bootleg copy or something. My goodness, do not support this drivel. I'm just, my goodness. like Critics, David Lowry has created a darkly brooding and atmospheric fantasy quest that is as richly textured and layered as the 14th century medieval poem on which it is based. Just simply not true. Like... <laughs> uh brooding in the same way that a 14 year old emo kid is brooding i suppose like yes he's not technically wrong would napoleon Mm. dynamite have written this movie is this just like the equivalent of that just yeah i think so like give napoleon dynamite like a a a fairly large budget uh some really good actors to be fair the actors were actually quite good i i can't i can't knock knock on the actors for this one um some decent actors and then tell them like give them like a small supply of lsd and then tell them like Make something symbolic. <laughs> that I that actually ties in with the theme of everything else that we're talking about. Just make it symbolic. Everything has to have a me. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. Good. Wow. Okay. Well, this half hour episode went for over an hour. Um, was surprised. Yeah. When I edit it down, it'll be slightly better. But I believe that is Sam telling us that he has better things to get back to. Uh, so for everyone here at the Problem with Reading Podcast, I'm Brevin. I'm Steven. And I'm Sam. And keep your Facebook out of my religion. And don't watch The Green Knight.